Uh, our speaker tonight comes from long, long way away, uh, far. Let me tell you a story about this guy. Um, I shouldn't actually spend too much time up here, then it seems like I'm hogging the mic. There is, uh, last year, an experience that I had with this guy. He was the assistant chaplain here, and uh, I had went to Pastor Greg and said, hey, I want to do this skit, and Pastor Greg said, all right, do it. So I did this skit, and it was Samson, and uh, I showed up to school and did Samson, and he was speaking that day, and he was speaking on Samson. Those are the times when you know that God planned it, you know, because you didn't get together and come up with that. But uh, we, did, I, we did a skit on Samson, and then he did a sermon on Samson. What's crazy about the sermon is I've never heard anybody else do a sermon with the song, Hey There, Delilah, in it until that day. This is Johnny Moore, everybody. Johnny Moore, welcome. Thank you for doing this, bud. So I, uh, I've been reading the Bible recently, which is good, um, I think, good practice. And something that really popped out at me is found in Luke uh, chapter 10, verse 24. And it goes, for I tell you that many prophets and kings longed to see what you see and did not see it. And to hear what you hear and did not hear it. Um, and, and in this talk, I'm just going to ask two questions. Primarily, why is it that people are longing to hear what they hear and see what they see and all that? And then, now what do we do once we know why? So, why? I'm going to do a little game. Okay, I'm going to attempt to sing some lyrics from a song from a movie. And then I want you to guess the movie. I'm really scared because I cannot do justice to Celine Dion. Tale as old as time. True as it can be. Barely even friends. Oh no, I'm so off tune. Then somebody bends unexpectedly. Anybody? Beauty and the Beast. All right, there we go. 1991, it came out. It's a classic. I just watched this movie recently. I really, really enjoyed it, and I'm sorry that I slaughtered that. I guess that's why I'm not up here when they're singing down there. And I'm, yeah. Okay, so I feel like Beauty and the Beast is a really good um, sort of analogy, metaphor for why this verse that we're talking about is important. Because if you don't remember the story, it starts out, you know, handsome prince, he's got this castle, he's got everything that he wants, everything that he needs, and then he gets a, a bit selfish. And because of his selfishness, he ends up uh, being turned into this monster, you know? And, and he, can't, um, he can't really associate with anybody because they're, they're afraid of him. They're, they're, he's crippled, you know, by his, his monsterness. And, uh, and time goes on. And he needs to find true love uh, to, to become human again, to become what he was meant to be. And humanity is dealing with that same thing, of course, you know, from, from the fall of man in the Garden of Eden, you know, all the way down us today, we're dealing in this messed up situation. We're, we're crippled by our sin. And what's, what's really amazing to me is that beauty you know, steps in, steps into the beast life, 
as Bell, you know? And in our time, Christ steps in. Well, not in our time. About 2,000 years ago, Christ steps in and does something amazing um, for us. Uh, For most of my life, I really, really didn't like um, Christmas. For, For most of high school, I felt like it was just materialistic and consumer-driven. And, you know, you go, you, you buy things, and it's a Hallmark holiday. And then just a couple weeks ago, I was, I was in community. I was in a, a chapel program at, at Walla Walla University. It's the school that I'm at. And they were singing these songs, you know, the, the Christmas songs. And it was like Brian was talking about, you know, that that somehow, even within all the, all the consumerism and the materialisticness of, of Christmas, there's still, there's still a beauty, there's still a hope, there's still a, a recognition that something, something huge happened back then for us Christians, for, for, for the whole world even. We were, we were beasts, we were, we were messed up, and, and God stepped in and gave us hope and made it so we could be different. I, I hope that you guys aren't stuck in that materialistic, consumer-driven Christmas. I hope that, that you can latch on to, to a bigger picture, and I find myself just incapable of really expressing what I want to express. But it was big. It was so big. And if we understand that, then what do we do? Now what? To find that answer... I'm going to look um, to the Bible around, again, this is, our, this is our verse, 10, 24. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired to see what you see and did not see it, and to hear what you hear and did not hear it. So what's, what's going on in the context, right? Well, before this, we have Jesus sending out the 72 Okay, so they go out in pairs. So there's like 36 pairs going out to all the different places that Jesus is going to be. And they're, they're helping people and healing them. And they're, they're saying the, the kingdom of heaven has come near. Now, like, this is something that we're excited about. This is huge. So then on the one side, there are the, there are the people, you know, the 72 going out to spread, spread the news. And then on the other side, Afterwards, in chapter 10, you have the parable of the Good Samaritan. You know, so someone who's doing um, some radical kindness for people, someone who, who steps out of, of his comfort zone, of his, I don't know what his finances were, but who, who picks up somebody who really, really needs him. And so we find that, that when people are recognizing, you know, the, the amazing the amazing thing that Christ did for them. Something that, that so many throughout the ages longed to see, desired to see. The prophets and the kings, they didn't, they didn't get it. They didn't get to see Christ come. And when people finally experience Christ, when people finally get that hope, they, they go out and they share and they do crazy things and they're, they're radically helpful. It's just amazing. I was on YouTube recently, which is also a good thing to do from time to time, and I found the compliment guys. 
And every Wednesday at Purdue University, they go outside and they hold their sign that says, free compliments. And they're there for like two hours. Like, who does that? I don't know. Apparently the compliment guys. And they, uh, they just compliment everybody who's walking by. I don't know, sort of like the free hugs thing with the t-shirts, but I don't know, a little less offensive. I don't know. Um, so free compliments. And so it's like, you know, someone walking by, I like your pink blouse. Or, wow, you have cool brown curly hair. That's awesome, you know? And, and sometimes, you know, these guys get, get criticism. People are like, they're so insincere. You know, what's their problem? I watched like three or four clips of these guys. And, and then other people are like, wow, it's so cool. It totally, totally brightens my day to be complimented. Just these random little ways. And, you know, of course, they, they start out just doing this every Wednesday, and they still do it every Wednesday at Purdue in Indiana. Um, but eventually, you know, like television stations heard about it, and, like, they started going on, like, you know, Good Morning America or something, all these shows, and, like, why are you doing this? And they're like, because we like complimenting people. That's, that's easy. We like doing this because it's fun, because we enjoy it. Sometimes, sometimes I wonder how much I do this in my, um, in my spirituality, in my Christianity. Or maybe not how much, but, but even if I do this in my religion, in my spirituality. Like, they're, they're not necessarily Christians. And yet, they're out there, like, stepping out and, like, sharing good things with people. They're, they're, in a sense, evangelizing, you know, and yet, and yet I, as a Christian, I don't, I don't do this because I'm, I'm afraid that, that people won't like me or that I'll, I'll be called insincere or something. I'm not willing to share that hope that I have because for some reason I'm afraid. So, so instead, I, uh, I, just, I just hope that maybe, you know, my, my Christianity will just you know, it'll sort of rub off on people without me having to do anything. Maybe, maybe some of you guys are here. Uh, how many of you like my beard? How many of you notice that I have a beard? Show of hands. No one. Excellent. Okay. I think that sometimes, at least in my life, Christianity is like my facial hair. I'm almost 21 years old. In preparation for this moment, I did not shave for two weeks. Two weeks. I didn't shave. I didn't cut my hair off, right? My, my Christianity, my, my beard is, is going to show. People are going to see it. They're going to think how cool it is, and they're going to want facial hair of their own. Right? You know, they're going to see my Christianity, and, and they're going to want to be Christian too. Now, my father, um, who apparently I inherited my facial hair gene um, from, when he, when he got married and for his graduation, these two events, he really wanted his, his facial hair to, to show, you know, so he actually put mascara on it, you know, so that, so that people could see that he had facial hair because he was sort of in the same spot that I was in or that I am in currently. But now, Father, could you, could you just 
stand up real quick, you'll, you'll see that he is quite blessed in the facial hair arena, where, where I am not quite yet, because, because after, you know, putting on that mascara and making it so it was real super noticeable, you know, and making that effort, eventually he grew into it to the point that it actually is super noticeable all the time. So I guess, I guess I would propose this. Oftentimes as young Christians, we think that just by being natural, just by like being nice to people, by going to church, by worshiping or whatever, our Christianity is going to rub off on people. But I think that we need to be intentional about stepping out like the 72 were, like the Good Samaritan was. And it might be mascara at first on the facial hair, but eventually it's going to be natural for us and we'll grow into it and we'll have a real deep Christianity that just shares naturally and reaches out and has this this hope that just emanates from your person and from my person and, and people will be drawn to it. We need to step out when we understand that that we have this amazing hope, that we have this this amazing joy in life. We need to step out. I was I was talking to one of my agnostic friends, and he says, "You know, when when you do stuff like that, you're just you're just going to annoy people. You know that, right?" Like, it's not, um, it's not actually, you know, going to help at all. And, you know, there's, there's more than that. Like, so much of evangelism throughout, throughout the last couple hundred years, you know, hasn't been super effective. You know, we've done our stand-up debates. We've done our revelation seminars. We've done our, our tracks and our door-to-door. And I'm not saying that all that stuff is bad, um, but we've done all these different things, and, and throughout the years, somehow people have gotten really turned off to evangelism. And so, so now we have such a, at least I have such a negative idea of what evangelism is that I'm, that I'm afraid to do it. I mean, and we, we, don't want, we don't want to offend people. We don't want to annoy them. And yet, you know, you look at so many people who were resistant at first, who were hesitant in joining the church, you know? But someone, someone pursued them. Someone kept on seeking after them, kept on, kept on trying to reach them for Christ. You know, and, and maybe they were annoyed at first. Maybe they were even annoyed at second. I don't know, days and weeks, maybe they were annoyed. But eventually, something happened. And now they're so thankful that someone was willing to annoy them and willing to step out because now they have a hope and they have a life in Christ that's, that's new and different. I think sometimes we think that, that being loving is, is all about never, never stepping on anybody's toes. That, that being loving is about, you know, just like waving to someone and, and passing them on the street and, and giving them a smile. And so often it is that. 
And yet sometimes loving people is hard and they don't like it, like, like a father disciplining his child. Sometimes, sometimes love is persistent and, and frustrating. But, but we do it because we know that ultimately it's, it's going to help them. It's going to help us. It's going to help the church. And ultimately, it might actually get them like into, into heaven even. For I tell you that many prophets and kings desired, longed, wished, wanted to see what you see and did not see it. And to hear what you hear and did not hear it. What Jesus said to his disciples so many years ago is still just as applicable to us. We have amazing blessings, so much hope, so much life. The disciples, they went out and shared. Now it's, it's almost Christmas. What are you going to do to share the hope that you have with people? Heavenly Father, thank you so much for, for everyone who's here, God. I, I know that that maybe some of them have, have struggled like I have with Christmas, that maybe some of them have struggled like I have with, with reaching out, with, with evangelizing, God. Um, but at the same time, we, we know that you call us to share, that, that you call us to, to live lives of amazing hope. So God, I, I pray that you'll show us how we need to do that on our own individual ways. And I pray that you'll give us strength, God. In Jesus' name.